Let's pray together. To you alone belongs the highest praise. O Lord, we praise you that you were the same before all time, today and will be for all eternity. To you has always belonged the highest praise and always will. So Lord, would you come now by your Holy Spirit and and be with us as we consider you the unchanging one. Help us to know you more. Help us to praise you more rightly. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts bless your name, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Somebody once said, change is inevitable, except, of course, from a vending machine. And I think that's a statement that we can all probably identify with on some level. I can see myself in Union College trying to rock the, the vending machine in the common room, um, and eventually it just, um, it had like this anti-theft thing on it. If you rocked it too much, the whole thing just shut down. Um, and I was guilty of that on more than one occasion because I was very frustrated by vending machines that don't give change. I think it's a statement, as I say, we can identify with. It's obvious to say it that change is inevitable, but in our world, change is the order of the day. Everything but everything changes. Our bodies change, our minds change. As many of you know, I have a little daughter at home who's nine months old, nearly 10 months, and even in those nine and a bit months, it's amazing to see the change. Completely dependent, could hardly move, only drinking milk, then progressing, working out how to sort of shimmy around a bit, working out how to roll over, now crawling, now pulling herself up, eating solid foods, getting a few teeth. Sadly, her sleep hasn't developed at all since the newborn days, but in just nine months, this newborn baby girl just isn't there anymore. She has changed. God willing, she'll continue to change. She'll continue to grow. She'll be a toddler and then a child, an adolescent with all the changes that come there, and then a fully-fledged adult. Good changes, generally, when we grow up, but then start the changes that we wish rather wouldn't happen, don't they? Metabolism slows down. We don't have as much energy. Our bodies change in ways we would rather they wouldn't. The hairs turn gray or whatever. Change is just part of our experience as human beings. No empire, no kingdom, nothing on this earth ever lasts forever. Of course, some change is is a really positive thing, isn't it? Um, Technology makes our lives a lot easier. It's easier to cook than it used to be. It's easier and faster to travel than it used to be. Medics are able to treat more sicknesses, save more lives. Society changes too. Compared with 100 years ago, for example, the role of women has changed immeasurably for the better. No longer do female civil servants have to resign when they get married. Can you believe that that ever used to happen? But it did. The pay gap is getting smaller, though more needs to be done. Positive change, though in some ways society changes for the worse. Society's moral compass has changed in recent years in ways that we as Christians probably wish it hadn't. Some change is good and some change is bad. And for that reason, all change brings with it a certain degree of uncertainty, doesn't it? Will this new technology change the world like the iPhone did? Or will it flop like the mini disc player? There's an element of soreness in that statement because I had a mini-disc player, which I despise more than the vending machine in Union College. Will it connect people? Will it be a positive force for the world? Or will it just actually make it easier for sinister people to abuse and harm and exploit people? 
Sometimes it's both. Change is quite often a two-edged sword, providing benefits, but also an element of risk. So for that reason, there's something tremendously comforting about things in the world that don't change. I think that's why people love going, for example, to the North Coast so much. You know, the sea doesn't change. Other people like climbing mountains. They don't change. Some people like going to sort of natural beauty spots, places like the Lake District or the Grand Canyon even, because these places are naturally beautiful and they're protected from change. Changelessness is comforting and not much more so than the changelessness of God. God is unchanging, and as I said, the technical term is divine immutability. Um, if the word immutable is new to you or unfamiliar, think of something that mutates, that's, that's a change, so something that is immutable does not change. And our God does not change. Another way maybe to say it is that He is the God who is infinitely the same. He is entirely perfect. You can't add anything to him to make him more perfect. You can't take anything away from him that would take away from his perfection. He is perfect and he is unchanging. The Bible tells us this several times over. Probably one of the most striking times um, that we see it is in Exodus in the words that we read in the encounter between Moses and God at the burning bush. For some reason, Moses asks who God is. I don't know why he asked that question, but, but who should I say sent me? And the answer is remarkable. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now the words, I am who I am, may be translated as I will be what I will be, or even I exist as I exist, because it's the verb to be or to exist. And the debate about that has gone on for centuries, but the important point for us tonight is simply that God doesn't change. He says, I am who I am. He names himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at the end of the passage we read, this is my name forever. You'll give it to all of your descendants forever. He isn't something now and will be something later. He simply is. What he was is who he is, and who he is is what he will be. In his very name, I am, or I will be, or I exist, God affirms that he does not change. And this word, the I am word uh, in Hebrew, it has the same root letters as his divine name, Yahweh. And we see the name Yahweh in our Bible quite often. We just don't know it often. It's every time we read the word Lord, all in capital letters. I'm sure you've seen it in the Old Testament. It's um, it's not in the verse I've quoted there, but it's in the next one. When you see Lord all in capital letters, behind that is the name Yahweh. And the reason why it's that way in our Bible is because there's an old Jewish tradition that you don't say the divine name Yahweh, but there's no biblical reason why we shouldn't. In fact, God, that's the name God gives to Moses to tell the people that he sent them, so I think we should say it. But anyway, the point is, when you see Lord in capital letters, God is stating that he is Yahweh. It's the I am word. He exists as he is, and he does not change. I didn't look up how many times the word occurs in the Old Testament, but I'm sure it's hundreds upon hundreds of times that God reaffirms simply by saying his name that he does not change. And the Bible gives us other pointers that, that God does not change. He's often described as a rock in Scripture. The image of a rock is one that suggests that in an ever-changing world, he's the unchanging reference point. Moses, for example, in Deuteronomy 32, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness or ascribe greatness to our God. 
He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. That picture of a rock, an unchanging one, it permeates the rest of the Bible. He's described as a rock. God is 20 times in the Psalms alone. Even over in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about building your life on God, on a solid foundation, what does he say? He talks of the man who built his house on a solid foundation, on a rock. And then there are times when the Bible just tells us straight out. Malachi 3 and verse 6, I, the Lord, that's the Yahweh word again, do not change pretty straightforward. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ, we were thinking about him this morning as the one who is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then finally, one more, James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change, and the reference there from James to the Father of lights is probably a reference to the light of the sun that comes up every day, and we have no power to influence that. We cannot change that. Even behind clouds, it's there. It goes in its seasons and in its patterns. They're set in stone. They can't be changed by anyone. The hymn writer puts it well, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions they feel not, as thou hast been, thy forever wilt be. So, you'll be glad to hear that's the end of the quotes on the fact that God doesn't change because I know it's a bit repetitive, but it's very important. The Bible states it again and again. God does not change. He is immutable. He does not change in his essence and in, in who he is. Um, he doesn't change in his attributes, the things that we're looking at, but even simpler attributes like his love and his mercy and his goodness and his holiness never change. He says through Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love doesn't change. He doesn't change his ways and his actions either. Um, the shorter catechism, which I don't quote very often, but it says, God is unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So I suppose there are, there are two sort of issues that this puts in our way. And the first, the first issue is this. Some people think that because God doesn't change that he must be lifeless and boring and monotonous because if, if he can't react, if, if things change around him and, and he doesn't change, if he's stationary, well, surely that is a negative thing. But that's not true because God is perfect. He can't change, so nothing can be added to make him more perfect. And that means he is already perfect He's perfect in his being within himself, so he couldn't be more alive, and he couldn't be any more ready to be in relationship with others, even others who change. Uh, one theologian, Herman Bavinck, has addressed the issue, and he puts it like this. Immutability or unchangingness should not be confused with monotonous sameness or rigid immobility. Scripture itself leads us in describing God in the most manifold relations to all his creatures. While immutable in himself, he nevertheless, as it were, lives the life of his creatures and participates in all their changing states. So as our lives change, God walks with us through that change. Even though he is the unchanging one, he's fully alive and he can have relations to all his creatures. He lives alongside us. We can have a relationship with him. The changes in our lives, they don't change God even though he walks with us. 
but because his will is unchanging, he will sometimes act in situations according to that will, and he may act in different ways in different situations, but that's not a change in God, even if it looks like it outwardly. But the second issue that this throws up is a little bit trickier because even though the Bible says that God does not change, there are some times in the Bible when it seems like God actually has changed or if he's, that he's changed his mind. He seems to change his mind. He seems to change how he relates to people. Sometimes he blesses them. Sometimes he's angry with them. Sometimes he withholds that anger and is patient. Other times he pours out his punishment. So how do we square the fact that God does not change with the challenge that sometimes it looks like he does. Well, we'll take a few examples to look at it. Let, let's think about his actions first of all. Um, probably one of the most famous examples is in the book of Jonah. You know, he sends Jonah to Nineveh, um, and despite initially refusing and ending up in a fish and so on, Jonah goes and eventually he speaks to the people the words God gives him. And what he says is this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it, that's the full prophecy. It's only five words in Hebrew. It's probably the shortest prophecy in the Bible. Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days time. You think Jonah went through all that to say five words, but there you go. But then the people repent. And what are we told then? When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And that word that the NIV translates as relented um, is the same word that we would often translate as repent. Um, and if you're reading in the King James or anything like that, it'll tell you that he repented of his anger and didn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So could an unchanging God do such a thing? That's, that's the question. Well, I think he could, and I want to give you two options as to how that might be, and um, if you like one of them more than the other, then that's great, run with it, because I think both of them have their merits. The first option is this, God's words maybe were conditional. In other words, Nineveh, I'm, I'm threatening you because of your sin, so if you don't change your ways, I will destroy you, and that won't change. I won't relent if you continue in your sins. But if you heed this warning, a warning which is deadly serious, and the warning won't change, but if you do change your ways, I will not punish. So in this way of thinking, God doesn't change. He punishes sin, so if there's sin there, he punishes it. But if there's repentance, he shows mercy. It's not a change in God, but a change in people's actions which affects their perception of him. They're always going to see his unchanging holiness. It's just a case of whether they're gonna see that in the form of the consequences if they ignore God, or if they acknowledge his holiness and are shown mercy. But either way, God doesn't change. The other way of thinking about it is that the whole situation was known by God before the Ninevites did anything or heard anything. And because God knew all things, he knew that the only way to get them to turn around was with a threat of destruction. So it's no change in God. It was the same plan from the beginning. It's all mercy. It's all an act of saving. It appeared to the people that God changed his mind, but really he knew what he was doing all along. I think both of those have their merits, but whichever way you want to look at it, whether it was just a means to an end, just a way to get the Ninevites to turn around, or whether it depended on human action, it was conditional. If you repent, I'll show mercy. If you don't, I'll destroy. Whatever way you look at it, God does not change. One other biblical example, in 1 Samuel 15, 
King Saul has, has sinned, he's failed God, he's worshipped other gods, and God says, I regret, and that's the repent word again, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. But in the very same chapter in verse 29, it says, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, that's also the repent word, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. So again, we have the word repent in both of those. God repented that he made Saul king, but we're told that God isn't a man that he should repent. I think the, the NIV have, have got this right in saying that his attitude towards Saul changed in a sense it was regretful, but, but God is a God who does not change his mind. The way, it was, the way his relationship was displayed changed, but he did not change his mind. It's not a contradiction. Saul will suffer for his sin because that's who God is. That's what he does. And in the next chapter, we see the consequences as David is anointed as the king who will one day take over the throne. But God is still faithful to Saul. Saul is still God's anointed one. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't remove him from the throne. So at the same time, God is just. Saul's son will not inherit the throne. But he is unchanging because Saul himself remains on the throne. I could go on. I won't with other examples in Scripture where God appears to change his mind or actions. But in every case to be, it's not always straightforward but I think it is possible to argue that God does not change. But instead, it, it appears to us that he has because the human circumstances have changed. Or he wants to show us something different about himself, his justice rather than his love, his patience rather than his anger. Because he has a purpose in that, but he doesn't change. He remains the same. And if all of this has twisted you in knots, and it has twisted me in knots this week, don't forget two weeks ago, God is incomprehensible. That's a great comfort. We won't always understand him. We won't always understand his mind. And as much as that might seem like a bit of a cop-out, it's absolutely true. We don't know the ways of the Lord. His ways are higher than ours. He is incomprehensible. But we do know that the Bible teaches us that he's unchanging too. Now, I mentioned earlier, in this little series in our Sunday evenings, what Marty and I are at least trying to do is, yes, to teach a little bit about the attributes of God, but actually to lead us to, to know Him and praise Him a bit better. And I, the way we've been doing that week by week is to think about, well, why are these attributes actually a good thing? What, why should that be? And this is a, a very biblical thing. As the Psalms describe what God is like, they often do so in the context of praise. That's especially true with the fact that God is the rock, that He's unchanging. Remember those words earlier from Deuteronomy 32, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. It's in the context of praise. As He's proclaimed as the rock, the unchanging one, He is praise. So, yes, why would that be? Why would that be a good thing? Would a changing God be any less praiseable? Well, I want to just give you three reasons tonight as to why it's a good thing that God is unchanging, and so why it should lead us to praise. And the first reason is that God's immutability means our salvation is secure. And we utterly, this is vital, we utterly depend on God being unchangeable for our salvation. He will not change. Our salvation is sure and secure for all time. It was true before time. Some words from Ephesians 1, for he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption 
to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There's a lot in those verses that we could unpack, but think of simply this. Nothing in world history could change our salvation. Nothing could change God's mind, not the cross even. You know, sometimes people say that at the cross there was some kind of change in God, some kind of rift between the Father and the Son, that God the Son changed somehow or was separated somehow. But that's not true, at least I don't think it is. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and it was the man, the second Adam, who willingly died on that cross. And yes, he as a man cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there was no change in God when Jesus died. That's a great mystery to us, of course it is, but it has to be true because if God could change, then he could be affected by things that happen on this earth. That would be a change in God and then we wouldn't be sure that he wouldn't change again or that he wouldn't change in other ways. No, I think the cross is a hugely Trinitarian event, the Son doing the will of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. No split, no rift. The triune God who, Ephesians says, knew us before and chose us from before the foundation of the earth, he came in human flesh and went to the cross, the Son doing the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit. And he passed through death, and then the Son was raised by the Father in the power of the Spirit to defeat death. And so now the Father has given the Son all authority to renew all things in the power of the Spirit. That begins with us, and it climaxes in the new creation. Now, this isn't meant to be a talk about the Trinity, and it's not going to become one, but it's important because it's an area where people sometimes talk about a change within God. It's not true, and our salvation depends on it not being true. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit does not change. His will, His choosing us doesn't change, and His actions as an unchanging God have proved it. And that also means that nothing in the future can change our salvation either. I know sometimes when we sin, we're tempted to think that we feel that we're not really a Christian or that we're not good enough in some way. But even though we will not be sinless in this life, the unchanging nature of God means that we don't have to fall into the trap of thinking that that means our salvation is gone that we won't be able to know God because of that sin, because our salvation isn't based on what we do or what we don't do, but rather on Him, in His immutability, choosing, as Paul says, before the foundation of the earth and being unshifting and unchanging in that love. Remember, Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It won't change. J.C. Ryle once wrote this, I hold firmly that our election calling and standing in Christ admit of no degrees, increase or diminishing, so our salvation won't get greater or less. I would go to the stake, God helping me for the glorious truth that in the matter of justification before God, every believer is complete in Christ. Every believer, not just those who seem to be walking well, not just those who seem to be doing better in the struggle against sin. No, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and we can praise God that he doesn't change. He won't change his mind about setting his love on us. He made that decision back then when he knew. He knew about all our sins, past, present, and future. So nothing we do can change it. Nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing can remove Christ's righteousness from us. 
nothing can separate us from the love of God, the rock. So that's the first thing. We praise God for being unchanging because it means our salvation is secure. But the second reason why divine immutability is a good thing is because it means that we can change. Now that maybe takes a bit more thinking about. But remember that in this series, we're looking at the incommunicable attributes of God, the way in which we are not like God. God doesn't change, but we can. And that sounds obvious, but we often forget it. You know, when we fail and we sin, you know, it's one of those sins, you know, the ones that we do again and again, and we seem to be entrenched by it. We seem to see no way past it. And it's tempting to think, I'll never get past this. I just can't do it. I can't change. This is who I am. But that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell because we are not immutable. We can change. And so just as we rely on God not changing for our salvation, we rely on Him being unchanging and us being changeable for our sanctification or our being made holy, or if you like more simple language, our being made more like Jesus. We can press on. We can not give up on fighting that sin because with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change. Paul puts it this way to the Philippian Christians. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. You see there, he, he says that he doesn't consider himself to be there yet. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not sanctified yet. I'm not where I should be, but I press on. We can change. We can press on. We can move heavenwards in Christ Jesus. We can strain towards what is ahead because we're not immutable. We can change. And if you're here tonight and you're struggling with a particular sin right now or just sin in general, and you don't think you'll ever defeat it, hear this. God is unchanging, but as part of his unchanging nature, he's in the business of changing people. That's what he does. We are not immutable. Jen Wilkin, whose book Marty mentioned last week, she has said this, and I think she hits the nail on the head. The unchanging one dispels forever the myth of human immutability, changing a heart that was once stone to a heart of flesh, changing desires that once sought only to glorify self to those that seek to glorify him. That's what he does. And then thirdly and finally and more briefly, the fact that God is unchanging is good and praiseworthy because it means he will fulfill his promises. Yes, his promises of salvation and of sanctification, we've looked at both of those. But all of his other promises too, they stand forever. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That he has a plan for his people. That he will give us peace and when we bring our prayers and petitions to him. That he will, that he will give us wisdom if we just ask for it. That even when we walk through the deepest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, in our darkest moments, his rod and his staff will comfort us because he will be guiding us. That if we seek first the kingdom of God, that he will give us everything else that we need. That he restores the weary and increases the power of the weak. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. 
that God is for us and not against us. And that's just a few of God's promises in the Bible. Sometimes we throw them out nearly glibly, don't we? But they're all true, every one of them. What confidence could we have if God changed? Either some sort of emotional change or some other kind of change. What confidence could we have in Him? If He could change, His character could change, and if that's the case, His love might fluctuate. He might not remain merciful forever. He might change His mind. His justice might not pan out. And that's a depressing idea. But the good news is that God is unchanging. And that's a message of hope. No matter what we face in life, no matter what pain we face, He does not waver. His promises are secure. Our salvation is sure. Our sanctification is possible. And our trust in His promises is well-founded. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do praise You that You are unchanging. We praise You that before this world existed, You chose us and loved us in Christ, and that nothing will ever change that. Thank You that this was in accordance with Your pleasure and Your will. Lord, we pray tonight for ourselves. Help us in the fight against sin. Help us to know Your Spirit working in us to make us more like Christ. And give us all we need, we pray, to press on, to push towards the prize that you have called us toward in Christ Jesus. And Lord, for some of us tonight, we, we come and we, we live in the midst of unwanted change in our life, unwanted change in our health, unwanted change in our employment, uncertainty about the future and what changes it might bring for any of us, uncertainty about what to do next. And yet, Lord, we come to you as our rock, and we ask that you would draw us to yourself. Father, we acknowledge that so often we try to go our own way and work it out ourselves, and we confess this is sin. But Lord, we pray with the words that we read in the psalm, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. So lead us to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.